Welcome to the Adventures in Arting podcast, the podcast where we talk about all things art-related. This is episode number 97, Creativity in the Time of COVID-19, recorded on April 3rd, 2020. My name is Julie Fafan Balzer, and with me is my co-host, Eileen Schubalzer. Hi, Mom. Hi, Julie. How are you? Well, I want to say we were supposed to have one podcast today, and due to a scheduling snafu, we appear to be having another one, so I want extra pay. <laughs> well, for most people out there, you may have noticed that we have been uh, a little bit more regular in our scheduling of podcasts, which is kind of exciting. Um, I would say we've been doing the podcast since 2012, hard to believe, right? But that's eight years. Um, and we are just now approaching uh, episode 100 is coming fast. So I'm I'm glad that, you know, it takes 100 tries to sort of get into the habit of it. But we seem to be getting there, Mom, slowly but surely. Um, a couple of things of interest before we launch into today's topic. So I do have a new online class called the Two-Week Art Journal Working with a Limited Palette. It starts on May 1st, uh, and it's all about guess what? Working with a limited palette. So what's a limited palette? It's when you basically take five colors um, and you can make all sorts of paintings from landscapes to abstracts to, you know, anything you really want with just a very small amount of paint. It's a really good uh, way of working and of training yourself to create things that have a lot of harmony and also make do with less. So check that out. And if you're looking for more, more ideas, more fun, more connection, more creativity, consider a Balzer Designs membership. It's the price of a cup of fancy coffee. It's about $5.99 a month and you get a live workshop each month plus you get a vlog. So it's lots of fun. And as always, we know you'd like to help the show. So be sure to post about this episode on social media and let other people know just how awesome it is. So today's topic is talking about creativity in the time of COVID-19. Now, I recently was on, there's a lot of stuff in this topic, obviously, but I was recently on Instagram and uh, Pokey Bolton, who is a well-known publisher and artist and host, was hosting an Instagram live in which people were talking about how difficult it was for them to be creative during this time period. And I had a whole host of reactions to this. I think, Mom, I talked to you about it. Um, yes. On the one hand, I was like, well, this seems crazy to me. I mean, you're so ex you finally get locked into your house <laughs> with all your art supplies. Isn't that the dream? But on the other hand, like, yes, I mean, I it's it's a stressful time and that can be an incredible block to creativity. In fact, mom and I were just discussing that we each had insomnia last night, just laying awake in bed for hours and hours and hours because, you know, you're stressed. What do you think, mom? Well, I think it's uh, it's hard to feel that things are normal. There's like this looming threat outside your house, even although I have hardly gone out at all in the last three weeks. It still somehow feels like when I open the door to get my newspaper in the morning that there's some lurking danger. I think it's just inevitable. So you can't you can't feel totally normal even if you're not becoming crazed by all the media coverage. I also think that the things you have to put on hold uh, weigh on you even though you accept that you have to put it on hold. I mean I'm dealing with this insurance thing 
about the car that smashed into my house, but I can't get into my safe deposit box to find certain papers because the bank branch is closed. When I call the insurance company, you know, it's never the the right person because they have a skeleton staff, so then you have to reintroduce everything. There's all kinds of stuff like that. I have looming, I'm sure you do too, looming doctor appointments. Are they canceled? Are they not canceled? Are they rescheduled? I will say we took the baby for his four-month physical, and going to the doctor in this time period felt like visiting a hazmat site or something i mean we were we like prepped out like crazy people we were hysterical while we were there we were hysterical after i mean i just think there are some things that i always took for granted like going to the doctor taking the baby for his four month you know physical and getting his shots that suddenly turned into these dangerous scary things well tell people how the setup was different well, so you first of all, my like local branch of my doctor's office was closed, and so we had to go to another one because they're consolidating all of their staff into certain areas. And so we went, and there was like a vestibule, and a woman wearing, you know, scrubs, gloves, and a mask meets you in the vestibule and asks you all the questions. Do you have a fever? Do you have any flu-like symptoms? Have you traveled anywhere? Have you been in contact with anybody? Have you done any, you know, blah, blah, blah? sort of on and on and then once you say you know no to everything they let you through the door and then normally you walk up to the desk and you like pay and give your information and hand over your card and instead there's like a blue line that you have to stand behind that's very far away from the desk and the person sitting there is like pushed very far back and wearing gloves and a mask and you kind of yell your name at them they never ask for your medical card or for payment or anything they're just like go to the second floor you know and then it's the whole thing you know we had a whole system steve was the toucher of buttons so he had gloves on so he touched the elevator buttons and opened all doors that needed opening and blah 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 and then you know threw away his gloves and you know trying to keep the baby so we put the baby in the um, carrier which is made of cloth and can be put in the washing machine as opposed to the car seat which we can't really clean the whole thing so that we wouldn't bring that into the I mean it's just like it's a whole complicated endless thing and I was thinking a lot about about the question what is needed for creativity to flourish because a lot of times I think people say, oh, artists do their best work out of adversity when they're unhappy, when they're drunk, when they're, you know, pained and it's a breakup. And there's this whole idea that like art comes out of mental anguish or unhappiness, right? So I would say we're all kind of mentally anguished and unhappy right now a little bit. And so then the question is, why is this not a fertile time for creativity then why is that what is the answer well, you have to for, for you right or well, no i'm not talking even specifically for me i do feel that even though i'm stressed out i personally have been able to be creative and i will say that that is partially because i think my personal style of existing has always been uh well, there, you know, you've heard of fight or flight. I have like, you know, get it done or run, I guess is what I would say. And so in times of high stress, I actually feel like I do more because I, that's just the way I work. So I actually have not found that COVID-19, I found it enormously stressful and I'm like have insomnia and I'm upset, but I don't feel creatively dead. However, 
I am aware that there are an enormous number of people who do feel this incredible um, lack of creativity or no desire to create or whatever. And so that's why I'm truly asking the question because I truly don't 100% understand. I mean, I think maybe intellectually I do. Why creativity doesn't exist for so many people right now when it feels like it would because you always say like great things come out of you know stress and and tough times well it may be that it takes first you're dealing with this existential threat right first there may be people of course who really are sick or who have loved ones who are sick so that's a whole other thing that takes a lot of your energy your psychic energy to address and then there's this feeling that there's although you're stuck in your house and you're now doing all these things you wouldn't necessarily do a lot of people don't cook every meal normally they eat out a lot uh plus there's this craving I, all these people have seemed to be making sourdough bread <laughs> uh, <laughs> gotta get that starter going share it around there's um I think there's this sense that you have to wait until later to assess the kind of creativity that's going to come out of this experience. And maybe you also need some time to percolate and see what, how it feels and what comes from it. I, I also think if you're restricted physically to your house, not everybody does their most artistic work in their house. I agree. I also think being on top of your family can be very difficult as much as you love them. I also think, you know, being financially stressed can lead to much unhappiness and strife and all that kind of stuff. And I think a lot of it also the question is like, why do you create? Do you create from a place of joyfulness normally in your life? Do you know what I mean? When you're having a spectacularly good day and you're in a happy mood, is that when you go and you paint or you pin things up on the quilt wall or, you know, after you go for a walk and you're happy or are you a person who, when you're sad, pours it out? I don't know. I mean, I guess that's sort of, that's my question. What is it? How, and more importantly, like, how can we help people who are not feeling creative get in that mood? How can I get you in the mood? <laughs> I don't know. I think that um, we've been reduced to certain things like scouring the Internet. So I do think that looking at things you don't normally look at, like uh, looking at museum feeds, looking at theater feeds, you know, can help jiggle that creative button in your brain. I think... Uh, People have to maybe get out of their usual their usual things that they follow on the internet to try to get some new stimulation. In the normal course of a day, you probably don't realize it, but you're constantly being stimulated by things, by other people, by places you go. And uh, so... It, your your home may not be filled with new stimulation. It's the same stimulation. It's stimulation you created because that made you feel comfortable 
in your home, but now may be the time to mentally go outside your home, you know, go to feeds from other countries, watch films from other countries, uh, read books that, not only books that you normally would have read, but look around through the internet for books you wouldn't normally read. I just feel like we have to make the effort, if we can't go physically outside our homes, to go mentally outside our usual paths. I agree. I think that there is uh, a sameness that can be very Mm -hmm. stifling. And it is, I mean, I think this is the thing this is a terrible metaphor, but nonetheless, here I go into the breach. Um, when people talk about jail and prison and solitary confinement and like, you know, the question of what is the torture of it if you are, you know, fed and housed and healthy and blah, blah, blah. Well, the solitude, the aloneness, the sameness, the I think we all, you know what I mean, are maybe getting a sense of that that monotony is difficult and it actually for me it a little bit reminds me of when the baby was it's funny to say because he's only four months old but it reminds me of the very early days of bringing the baby home from the hospital in which Mm -hmm. I felt like the days had no morning afternoon and night it didn't matter the baby was on a 24-hour schedule I didn't leave the house I didn't get dressed I didn't see my friends I you know felt very isolated I was sort of on edge at all times I was nervous about what was happening with him I was you know constantly on high alert I was stressed out of my mind I was you know concerned about my bit I mean like all of those kinds of that anxiety those feelings that weird sense of not being your regular normal life I feel like that is a little bit what this quarantine is too and it's funny because I said to Steve the other day I was like I understand I feel like if we had been quarantined before the baby I would have felt it more acutely than I feel it now only because I went through a a period of at least a month or two of serious isolation and having Uh that kind of like thing. I actually feel like I may be in month four of quarantine. So, you know, it's a funny, it's a funny thing. And I, and I think you and I were talking about how, um, listen, I believe that creativity ebbs and flows. It is the nature of the beast. And I have been feeling like I'm in a more creative period right now than I was when I was pregnant or when the baby was really little and maybe it's because I'm getting used to having him and other people are still in that period of where they're not used to the new normal you're fighting against the idea that this is normal I will say there are certain areas where my creativity is increased we're back to the kitchen because I'm cooking and I, I have the limited number of things to use you know ingredients or whatever it yeah. it does force you to do more of that creative well what's in the refrigerator that can be turned into a meal today but since i'm only cooking for myself i could be happy you know opening a can of beans and just eating that i think if i had to come up with a satisfying meal for let's say children it would be a whole other deal yeah but there but there is 
creativity to be found. You just have to figure out what you what your what your supplies are. Well, I'm also a great believer in that you don't need to wait for the muse to visit you. There are a lot of things that can spark you into creativity that don't feel particularly creative. So, okay, do you remember the movie Finding Forrester? Yes. Vaguely? Okay, so Sean Connery is this old, very, very famous, you know, Pulitzer Prize winning author. I think he's supposed to be um, J.D. Salinger-esque human being. And then there's a young kid who also wants to be a writer and one of the things that sean connery um teaches him is he says sometimes when you have writer's block you have to just start writing and he tells him to just start copying one of his old stories right and then all of a sudden he said your mind will just click in and you will the words will become your own right so I believe that some of that is true. Like, you may not feel creative, but it's like, go into the creative space. The same thing as people always say with exercise. Okay, you don't feel like exercising today. Put on your shoes. If you want to go back in the house after you put on your shoes and walk out the door, you can. But most people say by the time they put on their shoes and go out the door, they want to exercise. So it's like, okay, well, go into your arts making space. If you don't have a space, like, take out your art stuff and hold it. And, like, see if that begins it. Okay, well, go to the next step. You don't know what to make. You don't feel creative. You're not in the mood. Make what we call, right, that artistic mise en place. It's the same idea as when you just cut up the carrots and the onions and, you know, and and have them in the fridge ready for you. This is your artistic mise en place. So it's like, okay, well, cut the bunch of those half square triangles or paint that deli paper or you know, clean all your brushes or reorganize your stamp drawer, like do something in your space that connects you with the notion of creativity. And I do think that eventually the creativity will come. I, you know, I mentioned this in a blog post earlier this week, which is that the 100 day project is coming. It starts on April 7th. Now the 100 day project, I have a rocky relationship with the 100 day project. It's the idea is to do something creative every day for 100 days and then post about it online. And in the past, I have tried to do a complete project every day for 100 days. And I did it. And it was horrible. Yeah, that's insane. So I have now modified it for myself and said, okay, I am going to do something creative every day for 100 days, but I'm not going to drive myself towards a finished product every single day. It's just too hard. It's too stressful. And it makes the entire day be about that instead of that being a part of the day. And 100 days is a long time, by the way, you guys. Just if you're thinking about how long you've been in your house, it's not 100 days. So if I said 100 days in your house, you'd probably be like, whoa, that's a lot of days. It is. Um, We might be cruising towards 100 days in our houses, actually. But what I was going to say is, so for me, I am planning to use that 100-day project as a way of sparking my creativity every single day by doing something small. And this is another, this is a theory that I've espoused in my um, art journal every day, you know, post for years and years, which is you can get a lot accomplished in 10 minutes a day. I did this with Carve December. I said, none of these stamps can take longer than half an hour, right, to carve and print and post. I did it with a lot of things. When you put a time limit on things, then, mm-hmm. and you alleviate, I think, some of the stress of it. So for me, I'm like, okay, it's going to be like 10 or 15 minutes a day, maybe 20 minutes if I'm feeling ambitious, and that's and not a finished project. I'm hoping every three to four days to amble towards something finished. But, you know, if not, I'm going to be okay with that because the point is just to be creative every day. 
If you had to do a 100-day project, Mom, what would you do? Hmm. You know, because it's 100 days and it's got to be something I can sustain, and yet at the end of it I want to come out feeling good that I did it, not just that I marched through it, you know, but that I did That's it. That's what I said. Like, you have to feel like you learned something over those days, like it was that you grew somehow. Right. So I think one of the things I'd like maybe to do is... A hundred push-ups. If I... No, if I... <laughs> sorry. If I cleaned one little mess or threw out one little oh. thing every day... In a hundred days, you could throw out a hundred things. That might be good. You know, there is a project that there was a woman who was a student of mine who was doing many years ago in which every day for a year, you throw away one object from your house. And she said, at first, it's really easy. Like, you have an empty tin. You don't really need it. You have, a, you know, some pens that don't work. It's pretty easy. And she said, as you get through the year... It both gets harder and easier at the same time. She says, you reach this point where suddenly you're like, am I really going to throw away a book? Am I really going to throw away a book? You know, or am I really going to donate this book or whatever it is? Like, and then you say, okay, I am. And it's like, once you cross that threshold, suddenly now you're throwing them all away. You're getting rid of all of it. You know, am I, do I, am I really going to get rid of this jewelry that I never wear? Am I really good? And then it's like, okay. And then suddenly it's like the dam gets released. And she said, it is this amazing thing where you think you have these barriers and then you can sort of force yourself past them. Hmm. Well, so would it be cheating if I threw out one rubber band every day? <laughs> I think it's up to you in terms of the spirit of it. Um, but you know ah. what's so funny is I actually had to buy rubber bands because really, I, you know, yeah, I, I know. have this big bag of rubber bands. <laughs> I should have come for your rubber bands, but I actually don't. My, our mail carrier doesn't put things in rubber bands, and when we go to the supermarket, they no longer do the rubber bands. They do tape, I guess, from now. So it's like I just don't get rubber bands. For you. I know. What can I say? It's a tragedy to be me. Anyway, moving on. Besides your 100 days of throwing things away, which I think would be a good project for you. Yeah, it would be. Starts April 7th, I can tell Mom. you already, I, I, I would, you know, I don't think in 100 days I'd get to the book throwing phase. Well, you, right. You have enough stuff that you wouldn't have to, but maybe you'd be in the habit of throwing things away every day and it would sort of drift past it. I mean, what I would say is you would probably get that top layer of stuff that you really don't need. Hmm. I know. We're getting dangerously close now. Well. To where I, where I, I'm going to feel guilty. So we're going to move right along. Okay. But I will just say one last thing, mom, which is because I know that you actually love a certain amount of sharing. And what I was going to say is you could then send us along with your regular text chain, a picture of the item that you threw away every single day. It would be like a new fun game. <laughs> Each of you has been sending you, meaning my kids have been sending me like I, I am requiring at least one picture of my new grandchildren each day. It's true. The so, baby videos are fast and furious. So in exchange for the cutest photos of my grandchildren, I send you a photo of a rubber band that just doesn't seem... I think, you know, you could turn your Instagram into stuff you're throwing away each day. I barely post. It's I mostly... I, I use it as a stalking device. <laughs> 
Well, let's talk about internet stalking, because in this time of COVID-19, we all have become... Uh, I hope at least, expert internet users and sort of stalking and going down rabbit holes as part of that. Now, I know you follow um, an enormous number of creatives, not just in the visual arts, um, but uh, there's an opera singer that you love and there's several other creative people that you follow. um, And I know you find a lot of um, pleasure from their creative sharing of their creative endeavors. Yes, um... And it's kind of spotty. It's weird whom I end up liking to follow. And I think it's partly, it's not, sometimes it's because I like them, but, or. What's the name of that opera singer that you like? Oh, God. You can't look it up. No, he's a Polish guy. He's wonderful. Wait, I'm looking it up for you right now. Well, you think it's. He travels. He goes to fascin- uh, Jacob. Wait a minute, Jacob Joseph Orlinsky. He's um, of course he's not traveling right now. He's sitting in his apartment in Poland. But um, he's very creative in his use of Instagram, and you'll see a bit of a concert or a rehearsal. You'll see him traveling from one capital to another uh, in Europe. He also happens to believe it or not do break dancing so sometimes you're just watching him practice break dancing uh and the other day my worlds intersected because i was uh listening to the finals of the metropolitan opera annual auditions and then it i realized in looking through the the archives that he had won it in the year that he had auditioned. So I think it's interesting to see people who live totally different lives than you. Right. It's a and peek at, into their window. Right. And at my age, I'm, I'm not so drawn to like movie stars or whatever, but I'm interested in people who live in worlds that I, am not part of and who have thoughtful interesting approaches to it so here's a question how has so since so much of his instagram is about him like traveling and going places and stuff like that how has his feed changed since the lockdown oh well he's uh for one thing he had a funny one the other day because he said because of this lockdown i'm doing something it's driven me to do something I've never done before. And what was it? It was baking. <laughs> he baked a cheesecake. But, I mean, what you see is uh, what it's like to be a working, youngish opera singer. I mean, in my, as talented as I am, I, I'm <laughs> never going to be that. <laughs> Right? Youngish? So, you know what I mean. So <laughs> so now I'm enjoying, it's like sort of backstage in this life. I think right? that is the pleasure of Instagram almost across the board, which is, you know, before I had children, there were plenty of people who had kids who I loved following their feeds because it felt like a peek into a family life I didn't yet have, you know, or people who... 
live even like, a, a, you know, military spouses. I always find it interesting because that's a whole world that I've never, um, you know, been in or been exposed to. So it's interesting to hear about the things they have to put up with and the, you know, sacrifices that their families make and stuff like that. I think it is always interesting to get a peek into somebody else's life. And in many ways, this is what reading is, right? When you read a book, or at least when I read a book, I am transported to another place, into someone else's life, into someone else's, you know, emotions. I'm, I am in another world. And so if the, an Instagram exactly. feed is really good, what it is doing is it is transporting you into someone else's life in a tiny little nanosecond, you know, rather than like a long form book. Although you consider if you follow somebody for a long time, it feels like a book. You're with them through their breast cancer diagnosis and their, you know, successful radiation and their divorce and their, you know, buying a new house and their children being born and children right. growing up and the wedding of their daughter and like whatever it is. It's like you feel like you have watched the story play out. That's right. And so it's it's an interesting thing because I think we, I mean, it gets back to the whole idea of like we only share, you know, as they say, like Instagram pretty, like you only share like the good parts and the perfect things and a lot of it can make you feel inadequate because you're following somebody else and they seem so brave in the face of adversity. They seem so happy in the face of difficulty. Their house seems so clean. Their life seems so perfect. And, you know, so much of it is obviously so fake. Um, and I think that that they actually. They seem so, Right. Yeah. They seem so thin. Yes, they seem so thin. <laughs> they drop the baby weight right away. Like whatever it is can make you feel very inadequate. And I think some of us spending so much time on the internet now because of COVID-19, I think that's also stymieing creativity, which is you're bombarded by other people's creativity and perfect lives and feeling your own uh, anxiety, unhappiness, you know, uh, whatever it is, competition, jealousy, who knows, uh, insecurity that you sort of feel like, well, I can't do it that well, or I'm never going to be that, or I can't do this. And, and so it starts to feel intimidating instead of encouraging. And one of the things that I know I am trying to figure out for myself is, I mean, my job, the way I think of my job, at least, is that I help other people find their creativity. Like what I want is to make other people feel creative, feel excited about being creative, right? And so it is this interesting thing about like, do you post something that makes people feel that that they too can be creative? Or do you post something that makes people feel like, well, I can't do that. I don't have that machine. I don't have these parts. I don't have that thing. I can't draw like that, you know? And what is what is the line? And of course, you can't please everybody. Some people are excited for something to reach for and other people want something more accessible. And it's it's all very complicated. If I had the answers, I would rule the world. <laughs> well, I'll tell you this. You know, when you were younger, I used to say to you, uh, you don't hang out with toxic people, you know. They, if somebody consistently makes you feel bad about yourself, they're not your friend and it's not good for you. And I think the same thing goes with Instagram, for example, which is if you read it and you feel good and you feel inspired and you feel excited and happy, that's one thing. 
And if you read this person's Instagram feed and it makes you feel depressed and jealous and inadequate, stop reading it. I have unfollowed people. I unabashedly say that. I have unfollowed people who are incredibly talented because I just felt bad about myself whenever I looked at what they were doing. And I think that's fair. They may not be a bad person, but it's a bad fit for you. Yes, I do remember many years ago, Matthew, my brother, had a girlfriend who said to him that she was a very good catch. And he said to her, it wasn't about being a good catch. It was about them being a match. And for all of the rhyming, I think that's very true, which is, you know, there are plenty of, it's just like anything else. It's an art technique. It's an art supply. It's a person who other people love, whatever it is. They don't have to be bad for it not to work for you. Right. I was actually so I was so I went down a rabbit hole because I've been making some uh, masks, some fabric masks. And I went down a rabbit hole, which is a lot of people show cutting the mask parts using acrylic templates. And so I started Googling a little bit about acrylic templates. I don't really I have never really used acrylic um, quilting templates because I don't do that kind of traditional like perfect fitting quilting. Um, And I found a blog post that fascinated me in which a woman basically said that acrylic templates bum do you know i don't know if you know what these are maybe i should explain that first so so, acrylic quilting templates are sort of exactly what they sound like it's a template in a shape a particular and think of it as unusual shapes that are not just like a circle and a square or a diamond it's like a weird shape that you you might be hard to cut And so what you do is you hold your rotary cutter like you would against an acrylic ruler and you move it like around the curve and the edge and stuff. So you're basically tracing it with the cutter because it's acrylic. Your cutter can't cut it. And so it makes it theoretically easier, right, to cut out all these pieces. And you can stack like six pieces of fabric and then whack them all once, right, using the acrylic. So anyway, so I went Googling because a lot of the, you know, making the masks part of the time consuming part of it is cutting the pieces for the mask, especially the one, the pattern that I'm using has six pattern pieces. So that's a lot for each mask to have to cut six individual pieces. Wow. Right. So I started looking and this woman wrote this long post about how she hates acrylic templates they are uh ridiculous it's just a way for quilters to make money and they're stupid and that you should use freezer paper and she had all these some of them were legitimate reasons saying like it's a lot of expense and clutter and plastic that the world doesn't need and there are plenty of ways to do it that are less you know uh money conscious and acrylic templates slide and people think they you know you can't resize them you're stuck with a certain size blah 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 And it was a very long diatribe and she clearly felt very passionately. And I don't have a dog in the race or so or dog in the hunt. I don't know what the saying is. But uh, so I sort of read it dispassionately. But the comments and by the way, if you don't read comments on blog posts, get with it because that's where the really interesting stuff is. That's where the meat is. Yeah, it is. So the comments were fascinating because there were a lot of people who, of course, were on the oh, thank you so much. I feel so much better. And of course, I can use freezer paper and this is a way better plan. And then there was one comment that really stood out to me where there was a woman who said, um, I have lots of acrylic templates and they work great for me. I really enjoy using them. Um, you know, and the writer just commented back, nothing snarky. She just said, I'm glad you found something that works for you. Right. 
And I was yeah. reminded in that moment that it's different strokes for different folks. It's, you know, something doesn't have to be all bad or all good. And one person's way of, you know, working may not be yours. And it actually also goes with, I asked recently on Instagram and Facebook, I said, you know, I'm, I'm making these masks. There are a lot of patterns, a lot of patterns out there. And it's unclear which ones to make, right? And the and of course, I got as many different responses as human beings can give you because everybody had a different pattern, a different, you know, idea of which one was best. And I also got a lot of comments and even some emails from people saying, which one did you pick? Yeah. And I had this moment of thinking, this is so interesting because it's like, I don't have the right answer. <laughs> I don't know any of these people out there if they have the right answer, you know, but it's like people want a recommendation. They want an idea that they're headed, you know, in the right direction somehow. And I think that's really, I think that's interesting because I think it's important to find someone who you trust and so that you can take recommendations, but it's also important to sort of know your own mind and like to think about things. I, I am reminded of a story that I once heard, which is, okay, so you're an American, you're in Paris, you're on the underground and, um, you know, on the subway and on the, what do they call it? The Metro, on the Metro, and you hear oh. somebody else speaking English. Turns out they're also Americans. They're maybe from, you know, 18 states away, but they recommend a restaurant to you. And so you immediately say, oh, we have to go there because you feel that since you are both American, you have something in common as opposed to if a French person told you to go to a recommendation, you might be like, well, I don't know if they're to my tastes. And it's like, ha that's ridiculous, right? A, wouldn't you assume the person who lived there would have a better knowledge? And B, you might have nothing in common with this other person, but we are always looking for that point of commonality. And so I think this is a very long-winded, complicated thing, but getting back to the point, I think that we look for someone who we feel we have an affinity, a similarity, a connection to, and we look to them for recommendations. And it can be difficult if their recommendation or ideas doesn't line up with our personal instincts, right? And I think it's part of the reason that it's really always important to me as a teacher to never say something is all bad because there are plenty of people you know what I mean, who will feel differently about it. I, I do it very occasionally and only with supplies I feel really strongly about, like glue sticks and Mod Podge and stuff like that. Um, so apparently just adhesive. <laughs> but, <laughs> you know, uh, I think it is it is difficult to get away from the idea that, oh, everyone thinks this or this person I really value feels that way about it. You know, it's it's hard to step away from that sometimes. Well, it's, it's hard to think that everyone doesn't agree with you. Yes. And yet, so often, they don't. Why is that? <laughs> well, I will say, I mean, vive la différence, as they say. I mean, I think that it is hard when people don't agree with you. But I mean, even as we talked about with Lindsay on a recent podcast with a frugal crafter, you know, critique and difference of opinion I think are both valuable, but they both have to be dealt with in a kind way is the best way to put it. 
And so if you if I disagree with somebody and I scream at them, you're a moron, you know, go F yourself. That's probably a less useful discourse than I disagree with you. And here's why, you know what I mean? And that you might have a more rational conversation. I mean, they do say that most of the people who's who change their opinions about things, it's not because someone screamed in their face. It's because they had some kind of gentle way of turning their understanding and I'm reminded of a story I've probably told on the podcast before because it was so impactful to me which is my friend Nat who's been a guest on the podcast a couple times um told me this story which is her husband had been at something uh, at an event that was about uh some kind of conflict resolution and specifically dealt with people who had left hate groups and in one of them, a guy who had been part of a uh, KKK-like organization, but very, like, you know, racist organization, uh, said that it wasn't the turning point, but it was one of the turning points, was he went into Dunkin' Donuts, and he's covered in all these racist tattoos. And the young black woman who was serving him looked down, saw his tattoos handed him his coffee and smiled at him and said, you're better than that. And that was it. And I think that's a difference of opinion moment. And who knows if she does that often or not, but it was impactful for him and it was impactful for me and a reminder that screaming is not always the best way to get to somebody. So I think that I value difference of opinion particularly in art I mean if we didn't have the diversity of different styles and ideas how boring would it be I mean I will say sometimes when I go to a gallery and it's clear that the gallerist's taste is singular if it's not exactly my taste I'm gone like I'm bored there's no reason to be there as opposed to when you go to a gallery where there's a more eclectic sense or to a museum where there's definitely a more eclectic sense you know it can be more interesting because one thing might not interest you but then something else does there's also the question of sometimes you need to be educated to understand something and a place i love is the museum of contemporary art in western mass and one of the reasons i love it is they have really really good uh tours which are conducted by very thoughtful and knowledgeable uh, docents and tour guides who help you understand what you're seeing because sometimes it's difficult. And I have never come away from there without feeling that I've grown in some way. And I love that. I agree. I think like that's my the main reason I love my membership at the MFA is I belong to a, a, a tier of membership in which I get a lot of curatorial tours. And that to me is always the most interesting part of um, my experiences because you go, somebody's geeked out about something that you never thought about, you know, whether it's frames or conservation or, you know, Dutch painting or whatever. And suddenly you go, oh, wow, I'm seeing everything with new eyes. Well, one of the evenings that you described was snuff boxes yes. who would get excited about snuff boxes and yet you were at the end of it 
Right. And I think that's be because the truth of the matter is, and I've said this before, it's like when you're making conversation with a stranger at a dinner party, everyone is interesting. You just have to wander into their topic, right? You just have to find out what is it that they're interesting about. Are they, when they talk about their job, are they interesting? When they talk about their hobby, are they interesting? When they talk about their kids, are they interesting? When they talk about their relationship, are they interesting? When they talk about politics, like where is it that they shine? And you just sort of have to like poke around until you get there, you know, and then it's, they could talk about anything and you'd be fascinated by it. And I think, I think the same thing is actually true about people artistically, which is that, most people have their area where they shine. You know, they may be really able to capture drawing or value or whatever else. They're just really able to do something really well. And it's like part of learning how to be an artist is poking around until you find your magic special thing. What is your magic special thing, Mom? I don't have one. Oh, that's so sad, but I bet that you do. You have so many magic special things. You've been blessed with many magic special things. I mean, I'm your magic special thing, but that's... Well, I was going to say that. (laughs) Texting my children, keeping up a constant, customized text stream for them. So, yes, my my mother does this thing where she has several different chains. So she'll send things just to me, just to Steve, just to my brother, just to my brother's partner. Then there are various combinations, just to me and Matthew, just to me and Steve, just to Steve and, you know, just to Kirsten and Matthew, just to all four of us, just to, I mean, so it's, it's, you get a very personalized news feed of, you know, what's going on, some recommendations on various things that you should try or do, which actually, what a perfect segue, Mom. Thank you. Which is, what is your recommendation this week? I do want to tell you just one thing since we started out talking about COVID-19 days that I have developed a little stream right now on email with a few of my friends, and we only send each other funny things or uplifting things during this period. Nobody wants to get, you know, another bad news uh, uh, thing, but we send each other things that will lighten our moods. And I, I'll stop it when the when we're all out of our houses. But I think right now, you know, for this little group of my friends, it's working. All right, what am I recommending? Well... There are always lots of suggestions about what you can do when you're trapped in your house. But I think what's nice is you can still do things with people who are not in your house. Um, And I'm going to send you a link to an article in the New York Times, which I think came out last week, where it suggested doing play reading because so many plays are now downloadable. And so you can all... Uh, go online and call up the same play and do play reading together with friends and family, which I think might be fun. It's an, a way to spend an evening without having to watch the next episode of Tiger King. I think that reading plays out loud is a great idea. I have I have often said when I worked in the theater for years, one of the issues about consuming a play by just reading it to yourself is that that's not how the play is meant to be consumed right it's meant to be heard and so it's much better if you read it and it it even reminds me a little bit of being like 
you know, in Little Women or any of those, uh, you know, old, even Jane Austen books and stuff where people would put on plays because it's like you that's what you did is it was something interesting and entertaining to do is you would, you know, everybody takes a part and read it out loud. So well, anyway, that's a suggestion. It's an excellent recommendation. My recommendation is much less classy. Um, but it's not quite Tiger King. But I started watching Making the Cut, which is Heidi Klum and Tim Gunn's new show or streaming on Amazon. I told you about that. You did tell me about it, and now I'm telling everyone else, which is I thought it was going to be like a version of Project Runway. And in some ways, I suppose it is, but it's also not. So... It, there is a lot less like you have to sew everything there of course is still sewing involved and it does amaze me how many people can't sew but there's a lot more there's less you know focus on like running around the fabric store and what is your budget and all this kind of stuff and a lot more focus on like who are you as an artist um and is your work interesting and saleable they do a lot of challenges in which they're sort of like a couture version and then a saleable version um, and things that, that are much more about actually working in the fashion industry, you know, can you do a collaboration? Can you do this? Can you do that? So I, I find it really interesting. Like I said, it's streaming new episodes drop on Fridays. Um, I think there's four episodes out now. That sounds about right. Yeah. But, um, I find it really interesting. The designers are also much more established it seems like, than any Project Runway designers. And the prize is bigger. I mean, they've poured money into the show. The prize is a million dollars, which actually, you know what I mean, would help a lot of these brands really push. Plus, the bigger thing is um, you can buy the winning clothes on Amazon every week, which I think is, is really nice. And it also, for these designers, is a huge amount of exposure you know, to a much larger group of people. So that is my recommendation, Making the Cut. And yes, mom did recommend it in one of her uh, individualized feeds one day. It's streaming on, uh, is it Netflix? It's Amazon. Or Amazon. Yeah. Amazon. It's streaming. So you don't have to watch it. Uh, you can watch it like a chunk at a time or whatever. I, I just find it very enjoyable. They get... They get seamstresses, and they keep repeating, it's not a sewing show. It's a designing show. And I, it really is different than Project Runway. So I do enjoy it. I really enjoy it. So that's my recommendation. So any last thoughts, Mom, talking about creativity in the time of COVID-19? No, because my main concern is, uh, for me... You live with a partner and a child. I live with me. So while <laughs> I feel <laughs> that I am the best possible company I could have, I think what I've tried to concentrate on is making sure that I don't become, it's too easy for me to sort of slip into total isolation. I'm physically isolated, but I want to make sure I don't become mentally isolated. So, can you imagine doing this pre-internet? I can imagine it, but I don't think I would enjoy it. It would be a lot. I think people would, would feel a it, lot more distant. Mm-hmm. Oh, I do too. I also think, I've been, yeah. Because, like, I have seen my grandchildren on FaceTime. And I have, you know, I 
I find out there's still input coming into me from the outside world whenever I want it. Uh, Actually, you know, I listened to something that said that we don't have, there's no end to anything anymore. Like it used to be, right, when you ended the newspaper, you would end the newspaper and you put it away. When you ended a magazine, you'd end it. And now we just don't have any end. So you have sort of this idea that things never stop. Well, if you watch all-day news channels, that's definitely true. Again, right? It used to be like you watch the nightly news, it had an end, right? And now it's like, no, you can watch news 24 hours. Exactly. Or even the way that shows like HGTV tricks you constantly by having the next show like start on top of the last show. You don't have to watch it. (laughs) It's true. You don't. It's only a trick if you didn't realize it. It's true. If you are a willing victim... That's a whole other thing. <laughs> I am a willing victim of HGTV. It's it's 100% um, a personal problem. Sorry, I interrupted I'll tell you, you that I am when I'm watching. No, just when I'm. So there's two things. One is when I'm watching whatever it is on TV or a movie. I suddenly find myself clicking into sort of covid 19 mode where i say wait a minute why are they touching all those things the other thing is watching people from their homes broadcasting you get such an interesting peek into their houses or into their idea of what is the right background because people are setting up backgrounds to, to represent something about themselves uh and so I feel like it's a, another way of humanizing some of these talking heads because you're looking at what are the books on their bookshelf, you know? Oh, they have that lamp. I wouldn't pick that one. <laughs> <laughs> it's true. People who you are used to in a uh, professional setting you're now seeing in a personal and that's particularly true for people who have a lot are having a lot of zoom conferences with people is that you now see you now see the whole thing you now see everything you have a zoom gonna, meeting coming up soon have you picked your background that's oh that could be my task of the day <laughs> that could be your creative task for the day picking your background a fine choice there you model. are Okay, well, I think that it is about time for us to wrap up. So I'm going to say that you can find me at juliebalzer.com or on Instagram as Balzer Designs. And we would love to hear from you. So please send us an email or leave a comment. And if you'd like to help the show, you can leave a review on Apple Podcasts or mention us on Facebook or Instagram. That helps other people find the show, which is a good thing. So thanks so much for listening and subscribing. And we'll see you the next time on the Adventures in Arting Podcast.